Assemble. Podcasters, assemble. Hey everyone, welcome back to Podcasters Assemble. As always, I'm Eric Slater from Epic Fails of History, Comic Zombie, and Too Young for this trek. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to acknowledge that the day we never thought would come has finally arrived. That's right, today is Friday, October 8th, 2021, and the 25th Bond movie, No Time to Die, is finally in theaters, at least here in the States. Two years ago, uh, way back in December 2019, as the Star Wars season was wrapping up, I first reached out to Troy and Tyler about uh, becoming more involved with the show, and I pitched the idea of doing the Daniel Craig Bond movies leading into the new one. Little did I know uh, at the time, the new movie ended up getting delayed several times because, of course, as we all know, the pandemic happened and the rest is history. So we ended up deciding to cover all 25 James Bond movies throughout the year, including Never Say Never Again, which I regret to this day. And it was one of the most fun and chaotic times I've ever had. This podcast really helped me get through that year and have you, the listeners, to thank for keeping this project going. And against all odds, we finally made it. And so I just wanted to take this opportunity to look back at some of my favorite moments from that season. All right, here we go. Assemble, podcasters, assemble. Hello, friends. My name is Troidal Power, and I'm here to give you just a little bit of a recap of all 25 movies in the Bond franchise to help you remember which is which. So starting with number one, we've got Dr. No. Now this is the one where everybody sings underneath the coconut tree, me honey and me. Wait, no, it's mango tree. Dang it. Anyway, everybody sings that song and there's this guy on this island named Dr. No and he wants to get a nuke and Honey Rider's in it. She's this girl who walks out of the ocean in a bikini. That's important. We'll come back to it later. But yeah, well, it's just the, the bit that really gets me is like when she says to him, what should I say when I get an invitation from a gentleman? And he goes, you should say yes. <laughs> it's like, no, you should say no. And, uh, you know, maybe swipe right or left or whichever way you do it on those weird apps these days. And she calls him up and is like, hey, you should totally come up into the mountains and have sex with me. And he's like, I'll be right there. You've got the first Bond car. When it comes to my favorite car for this movie... I will say that I won't be able to name off the different car models like my husband Justin will be able to. I like the little Sunbeam Alpine James tooled around in on Jamaica. No gadgets, just driving. But uh, the one that stood out to me the most would be the hearse. I couldn't tell if it was like a really fancy limo or just a very pimped out hearse. Uh, car chase happens. You've got the first Bond car chase. That scene was shot with a rear projection screen for the chase, quote unquote. Now what's great about this car chase is that Bond's just driving along and then you start to hear the music going, and you're like, oh man, something's going to happen here. And then another car pulls out and starts chasing him and the music just goes away completely. <laughs> there's, there's zero soundtrack to the car chase. Uh, and ultimately, he sends the other car careening off a cliff and gets out of his car and is looking down at it. And some other guy comes up and he's like, oh, my God, what happened? And he looks at me and goes, I think they were on their way to a funeral. I love the point where the hearse falls off the road and he had some quippy one liner like, oh, I think they were all going to a funeral anyways. This is, this is dumb. This is dumb, Bond. This is not a good one liner. I think they were on their way to a funeral because they died. Do you get it? So that made me smile knowing that that's a James Bond thing. After that is from Russia with Love. What happens in this one? Boom, Bond dies right at the beginning. He's dead. He was killed by a Spectre agent. Oh, wait, 
It was just another guy wearing a Bond mask. Bond's okay. He's going to go steal some Russian communications device with the help of a girl, but she's actually a bad guy. And then he gets into a fight on a train with that other Spectre agent. It's a really cool fight scene. And then the girl and him have sex in Venice on a boat. One of the things that this adds to the lore of James Bond that was missing in Dr. No is Q. We get the introduction of Q here. The first appearance of Q. I don't know the name of the actor who plays him. Desmond Llewellyn. I really... I really, really should know that. Favorite gadget was the periscope that looks into the Russian consulate. It's massive and somehow goes unnoticed. Also, I love that he had a submarine periscope installed in the Russian embassy. Where the hell does that come up? Does no one notice a small spyglass at floor height? What is with the underground periscope that Bond seems to uh, only use for looking at women's legs? This world was a strange place before Pornhub, <laughs> where people got their kicks. But it's Q, and he shows up and he gives Bond this super cool spy briefcase. Uh, my favorite gadget is actually the briefcase Bond gets from Q. This movie has what I consider to be the ultimate Bond gadget, the briefcase. And this is one of my favorite Bond gadgets because it's, like, not ridiculous. It's a totally, like practical and realistic thing it's just got like it's a suitcase with secret compartments and a tiny little gas cartridge that's it that's all the suitcase is but it, it works so well as like the first real gadget that james bond uses q shows up to m's office and quickly briefs 007 on all the features of this completely tricked out briefcase uh it has a hidden throwing knife a gas canister all the tear gas talcum powder Bond looks absolutely like he's shitting himself <laughs> when Q turns up and gives him this. He's just like, uh, do I want this? <laughs> this looks fucking dangerous. The briefcase is pretty fantastic. Because it's grounded, it feels like spycraft. It doesn't feel like ridiculous laser watches and invisible cars. It's just a suitcase with secret compartments. A throwing knife, a rifle, some tear gas, and a standard issue. And then after that is Goldfinger. What happens to Goldfinger? Well, there's this guy named R. Goldfinger, and he wants gold because he really likes gold, and he's got an assistant named Oddjob, and a lady gets painted in gold, and she dies because her skin can't breathe, which is not a thing. And then Bond plays golf, and he almost gets cut in half with a laser. And uh, what happens? Oh, no, everybody's knocked unconscious, and Goldfinger's going to blow up Fort Knox or something, but then it was just a fake, and they're all alive because... Bond had sex with the villain and turned her into a good guy. And so now she's going to help them and they win the day and odd job doesn't kill Bond. And so Bond goes up and figures out that Goldfinger's got like a lady in a bikini in a hotel room who's spying on the card game and giving him cues about what the cards are. And so he's like, listen here, Goldfinger, you're going to let this man win. 15,000? Mm, I think it's 15,000. Anyway, he lets him win back a bunch of money. And Bond's like, sweet, going to have sex with this lady. Obviously, once the uh, card game has been foiled and Bond has got the uh, unlikely lass back to his um, apartment, as he does, he tells her he's got the best place to eat in town, and uh, it's his bed. And, uh, yeah, that's that's disgusting, Bond. Then, of course, Bond gets knocked out. Crotty drop. Boom. Bond gets whacked over the back of the head. And wakes up, and the lady's painted gold. And then, once he awakens, there's a golden jewel on your bed. Jill Masterson was a great know-nothing Bond girl. Very convoluted way to die, but memorable. It's been parried multiple times. I'm really interested in how they covered someone in gold paint, but did not ruin those perfectly white sheets. I'm not even sure someone can die this way, and without it getting gold paint on the sheets, it's crazy. Ajab has a very delicate hand. 
because she's suffocated. Skin suffocation. Is skin suffocation actually a thing? Skin suffocation is not a thing. This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock, which is considerable. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know. So that is Thunderball. They go underwater in this one. There's something about a missing jet, a lot of scuba diving, a lot of scuba diving. I just remember a lot of scuba diving. Then we've got You Only Live Twice. Uh, you Only Live Twice, I believe, starts off with Bond getting like shot up in a um, uh, hotel bed, like one of the beds that flips up in the wall, a hide bed uh, He's in one of those and gets murderized, but it turns out that it was a secret passage and he didn't die, but they think he did, and so there's somebody says, You Only Live Twice, and so that's why it's called You Only Live Twice. Uh, you Only Live Twice, a secret volcano lair, and Bond disguises an Asian person by putting on a bad wig and some tanning lotion. It's not great in a racism perspective. And then suddenly James Bond is watching sumo wrestling. There's a long sequence here where the director just seems to be going like, hey, check it out. We went to Japan and filmed a sumo match. I actually like sumo. My friends in Japan are super into it, but I appreciate the sport. It's like no actual classes, just the best fighter wins. By the time we reached the train scene, I had to ask myself, does Bond ever hydrate? He's only had liquor so far. After that is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. George Lazenby's James Bond now. Uh, that's all I remember about this one. I think it has something about somebody walking into or out of the ocean, calling back to Dr. No, but I might be wrong. I'm not positive. Don't remember it very well. This never happened to the other fellow. Cut to the credit scene where they show all the old movies in the opening credits. It's actually kind of a cool effect. So I know I mentioned this on episode one, but this has one of the best title sequences in the entire series. No lyrics, just awesome music and visuals. Also, this movie has a banging soundtrack. It's like electronic, but classic. Uh, one thing I would change about the movie is the opening title sequence. They did this cool thing where they incorporated clips from the previous films, kind of showing that there is a chronology at work here. We're taken down this memory lane of James Bond without James Bond. You know, we see some of his uh, the former Bond girls and scenes from other movies that just just get edited around Sean Connery. And the song for this movie is almost not worth mentioning because there's no lyrics to it. It's just like some music that plays. What is interesting about it, though, is that it shows like a bunch of footage from the previous Bond adventures in the credits for this one. So it's like making sure that you like connect that this is the same guy even though right before this was the line about the other fellow so maybe it's not the same guy it's a weird choice it just doesn't work it ties everything together and also emphasizes that despite the joke this is the same james bond 
do remember Diamonds Are Forever. This is the one where they're smuggling diamonds in the United States using dead bodies and Mr. Kid and Mr. Winter in it. And they're putting uh, dead bodies into the, 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 the thing that burns the dead bodies to get the diamonds out. And then somebody catches Bond and they put him in one of those. And it freaks me out because I think he's going to get burned alive. But then he escapes. Uh, after that is Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. This is the one that has Baron Sandy in it, the uh, crazy voodoo guy. And it's, uh, again, not great from a racism perspective because it kind of uses a lot of stereotypes. But mostly I want to talk about how Baron Sandy, uh, he has like this crazy makeup on and the makeup freaked me out when I was a kid. And this is like one of the few Bond movies that has some supernatural stuff but then I think they reveal in a Scooby-Doo-like fashion that none of it was real. So here Kananga has uh, Bond right, right in his grasp. He can just murder him. And instead he sends Teehee to take him to an alligator farm that's also their heroin operation to move, murder him there instead of doing it when he has his hands on him. Is that, is that four or five times now? And now we go back into the tropey. Instead of just killing Bond right then and there, we're going to let him get eaten by alligators and crocodiles. And I will say, as someone who grew up wanting to be a herpetologist and who loves Steve Irwin, I am glad that this film clarified that there were both alligators and crocodiles and their differences in the water. So we got the amazing alligator scene in the bayou. That being said, there's a terrible scene in which James Bond runs across a bunch of crocodiles. So when they get to the alligator farm, uh, Teehee gives Bond a little tour first. He's like, check it out. This is uh, this is where we make our heroin. So you can see we've got like a very ornate lab set up here. Definitely would be a shame if this building caught on fire. And out here we have our alligators. They're very vicious. One of them ate my arm. That's how come I only have one arm. Um, over here we've got a flat screen television that retracts into the ceiling. And behind it is an aquarium. So, you know, when you have company over, you can put the TV away and you just have this aquarium full of ornate fish to look at but then when companies here that comes down and you've got the tv screen and then over here we have my closet that's just for claws it's just a closet for claws i have another closet where i keep my suits but this one's just for claws uh it's very nice thank you for coming to my alligator farm on mtv cribs i honestly think this is one of the most clever uses of a gadget or should i say non-use of a gadget and then he puts bond in the middle of the alligator pit and doesn't shoot him, and doesn't stay to watch. He just leaves Bond standing in the middle of the alligator pit and goes, ha this time he will die. This time, surely, the sixth time, I believe, that we've got James Bond in a very easy-to-murder position, he will be murdered without our interference. We'll just leave him alone, and he will definitely die. Then there's the man with the golden gun. This is the one that has Saruman in it, and he uh, is playing a super cool assassin that's got a super neat gun that's gold, and he uses golden bullets, and I think it costs a million dollars a hit for him, which I think is the same rate that Deadshot charges in the DC universe. Uh, he's got a third nipple and there's funhouse mirrors and bond has to fight him in the funhouse mirrors and the the dude from fantasy islands in it bond ends up in a car with jw pepper something about having jw in any kind of chase just makes him to this kind of benny hill montage wtf why is he a main character now because i guess he was shopping for cars while he was on vacation and bond steals the car from the dealership and jw pepper happens to be in it and he's like oh boy i know you you're that secret agent man i'm gonna help you out because i'm on a mission to save the world and stuff because i'm jw pepper i do like the fact that he ends up joining james bond on a mission and there's a freaking wallet full of certification on how he's a sheriff of the worst parish in louisiana 
after Bond didn't kick JW out of the car, I realized even Gordon Ramsay would hate this movie. There is just too much pepper. I'm specifically calling out this film as a platform for advertising. First off, American Motors Corporation ruined Harley-Davidson back in the day, but let's admit there were a ton of AMC cars in this movie. I also seriously deep-dived into tracking down why there would have been a freaking American car dealership in Thailand in 1974, and no, there were no dealerships. I did find a listing for an agent that was in-country at the time, mostly for manufacturing purposes, but even then, why the hell would J.W. Pepper be test-driving a car when he's on vacation? And he's still racist and awful, but the chase scene's pretty fun. I don't usually enjoy the car chases, but this one was pretty epic. It had Bond, it had Scaramanga, there was JW from the last movie, and even Goodnight. Bond ends up getting like the entire like police department of the country he's in chasing after him uh, as he chases after Scaramanga's car. But the best part of this is where they just like shamelessly rip off Dukes of Hazard. I was already upset by his existence in Live and Let Die, but I don't understand how you can bring in a character who already barely exists within your universe and somehow undevelop him. Because what happens is Scaramanga crossed a bridge, Bond doesn't realize it, and then he realizes it and he's like, oh man, how am I going to get over there? There's no bridges here, but there's a ramp. <laughs> oh my god. And so Bond does this sweet trick where he like reverses way back, gets a head start, a running start up to the ramp, goes up it, but it's a slanted wrap. So the car does a barrel roll in the air and then lands on the other side. And it's fantastic. That bridge jump where the car flips over and there's a kazoo sound effect. Except they put in a damn slide whistle. Like as the car is flipping goes. That was a terrible slide whistle. You know what a slide whistle sounds like. Why they do that? It's just... so cool, and then there's a slight whistle. Where the hell they got to? You goof, boy. After that is The Spy Who Loved Me, which I think is the one that has a song that's like, Nobody does it better. Nobody else is half as good as you. Which is a song about how Bond can have sex with an evil woman, and then she'll become a good woman, I think. The Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying About Plot and Write a Love Story. This movie is one of the best of the Roger Moore series. First reason, disco music. Pretty much all I remember about this one coming into it is that this is the one where Jaws gets introduced. Uh, It's not the main Jaws movie, but it is the one where he gets introduced. The first person we meet is a spy named Agent XXX, or Triple X, a.k.a. Xander K, I mean, Major Anya Amasova. The Russians are going to put their top agent on it, Agent Triple X, and we're not talking Vin Diesel. For a moment, I was like, did I download the wrong movie? Then we see M asking Money Penny for 007 status, and she reports that he's on a mission in Austria. M says, tell him to pull out immediately. But um, tss. <clears throat> And we immediately cut to Bond with a woman. I don't remember anything else about it. Uh, Moonraker's after that, and it's got Jaws in it, which means Spy Who Loved Me also had Jaws in it. That's the introduction to Jaws. My bad. But Moonraker's the one where they go to space, and Bond has to fight people in weird yellow spacesuits, and Jaws smiles at a girl at the end, and then the girl smiles back at him, and she has braces on her if you live in the real universe, but we don't live in the real universe anymore. We live in the fake universe where it's the Bernstein bears instead of the Bernstein bears, and in the fake Bernstein bears universe, uh, she doesn't have braces on. So that's weird, a little Mandela effect for you. So I kind of forgot how long it actually takes to get to the space stuff. You always think about this one being as the one with Bond in space. Bond in space. But it's really like the last 20 minutes of the movie. 
We also find out that the space shuttle is full of hot people, and it it turns out that Drax's plan is to just put all the hot people on a space station and then destroy the Earth. Uh, okay. <laughs> I love Jaws's face here. Jaws looks so confused. Jaws is all of us. It's okay. This movie's been a little bit planned. But listen, now we're gonna go to space. James Bond is stealing a space shuttle that's on its way to a space station being run by eugenicists, and he's going to space. This is gonna be dope, right? No. Oh yeah, an evil space station layer in space. So James Bond is in space where he discovers a secret orbital space station that was presumably built at the cost of billions of dollars over multiple years without anybody noticing this many rocket launches at a time when rocket launches were probably pretty noticeable considering that the US and the Soviet Union were on the verge of nuking each other at any moment. But let's suspend all this disbelief. Let's go. Space station, out orbiting Earth. We're going to go up there and fight all these people. Let's do it. The only thing that would have made this a little bit better would be if JW showed up on the space station. That would have been the perfect tie-in for a couple of movies there. This movie ruins space travel the way that Thunderball ruins scuba diving. After that is for your eyes only. I don't know what this one's about. For your eyes only is the one where I think he gets a file and the file says for your eyes only on it, but I don't remember anything else about this one. So after blowing up the warehouse, Bond ends up chasing down the bespeckled man. The dove escapes, blows up the warehouse, then hops in a car. Bond also manages to escape, chasing behind on foot. There is no way that he catches up to that car on foot. Bond does about 40 weeks of cardio running up some steps. Did anyone else find the seeds of Bond slowly running up that long ass staircase to be pretty hilarious? I mean, they put a lot of time on that. I love how it keeps cutting back and forth between the car hauling ass and then Bond slowly struggling up this... <laughs> slowly struggling up the stairs panting. The car crashes and the guy's like teetering on the edge of a cliff and Bond goes up and he's standing right at the edge of the, the car and then he just kicks the car over down a hillside. Eventually killing the henchman, kicking his car over the edge of a cliff. He has no head for heights. What? Um... Yeah, I got nothing. After that is... Octopussy. Octopussy's the one with Octopussy in it, and her name's Octopussy so that they can name the movie Octopussy because they wanted to name the movie Octopussy. This one has a fight scene. Uh, oh, is this the one? I think this is the one. Is this the one where he dresses up as a clown? This might be the one where Roger Moore dresses up as a clown and there's a milkman delivery man who's secretly an assassin. I'm not sure, but I do know that this is the one that has a hot air balloon at the end in the middle of a fight scene with a bunch of belly dancers and then James Bond rides a horse and jumps on the back of an airplane and he's on the back of the airplane. Bad guy's on the back of the airplane and then Bond grabs onto an antenna that's on the back of the airplane and he pulls it back real hard and then he twings it in the bad guy's face and that's how he kills the bad guy. And then after that is a view to a kill and in a view to a kill, uh, we got Christopher walking up in the joint. He's playing a bad guy in Silicon Valley who's got a dirigible and also has an assistant who uh, murders people using uh, butterflies on strings in Paris for some reason and there's a lot of stuff about horse racing and Bond wears a top hat. Blows the helicopter up with a smoke flare um, and then escapes in a camouflage sex submarine that's shaped like an iceberg and also shaped like a dick. It's crewed by the most 80s woman ever and it leads into the most 80s James Bond intro song ever. We cut to the second best opening music so far. Duran Duran. 
Okay, I don't care what anyone says. Duran Duran is awesome. I am a sucker for Duran Duran. The uh, the song on this one, Duran Duran, with a view to a kill. I, you know, it's this song is amazing. Uh, I still don't like the music as a Bond theme. It's Duran Duran. It sounds like a Duran Duran song. It doesn't really sound like a James Bond song. But it is so much more amped up than many of the themes we've had thus far. But that's not the worst thing in the world. It's pretty fun. Uh, This title sequence is amazing. But the visuals in this music video are something else because it's just, it's a lot of naked women skiing with black light lit tassels covering their nether bits. And this is a notably better visual intro. We get A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. It is the only James Bond intro song to make number one on the charts in the United States because of course it is. It was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song, if you can believe that. Um, it's fine. It's 1985 and there's nothing about this intro that doesn't just beat you over the head with the fact that this movie was made in 1985. This is the most 80s thing ever. The credits are fine, but damn, this song slaps. I love the black lights and the body paint and the crazy hair and the dancing into the fire. (laughs) I think my wife hates it. It's just, you know, it looks really good. It's a lot of black light. It's kind of cool looking. Um, It's all about skiing, which has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's just the intro has skiing in it, but... I guess they did that back with Moonraker, where it was all about the circus after Jaws crashed into the circus. Really, Octopussy should have been the one that was all about the circus, because the circus is a big thing in that one. But I digress. We got skiing in this one. But I love me some 80s music. Did I mention Duran Duran? And Duran Duran was at the top of the charts for me. I actually think this whole title sequence is probably the best part of the movie. Even the song is just like, forgettable 80s whatever. That Duran Duran song is... Awesome. After that is The Living Daylights, which is the first of the Timothy Dalton movies. I believe that The Living Daylights is the one that has uh, the cocaine, and there's a bunch of bad guys who are dealing with uh, trying to smuggle cocaine in, and there's a shark, and uh, Benicio Del Toro's in it. And then after The Living Daylights is License to Kill, which I believe is the one that has the girl with the cello, and she's being targeted by assassins because maybe she's an assassin herself. And then there's the scene where they slide down a mountainside riding on the cello case like a toboggan, and they go through customs and say nothing to declare except the cello. I might have had those two backwards. If I did, just flip everything I said about The Living Daylights and License to Kill, it's fine. Bond is caught by Benicio Del Toro, leading to a fight where he's thrown into a conveyor that breaks up the cocaine bricks. But he's being lured pretty quickly, actually. Bravo to Sanchez for at least having a fast-moving death trap. I like that um, when Sanchez leaves James Bond to die going into, like, the industrial strength paper cutter, uh, Benicio Del Toro is like, no, forget that, man. Like, I'm going to go in and finish the job personally. I'm going to go with the knife and cut. Because originally you're like, oh, they're just going to leave him and he's going to escape. But no, I like that Del Toro is like, I'm going to see this through and finish the job. I'm watching this dude go through the wood chipper. But the tides turn and Del Toro is tossed into the shredder instead. So Benicio Del Toro's death is messed up and he gets fed into like a grinder, like a, a, it's like metal saw blade cocaine grinder. Anyway, Pam shows up and she shoots Benicio Del Toro and everybody's thinking like, oh no, I thought somebody was going to go into the wood chipper. But luckily he doesn't die from the gunshot wound and then he does go into the wood chipper and it's like just as horrifying as uh, you were hoping it was going to be. And it's pretty horrific it's awesome this is like james bond directed by the saw director 
I know we've seen a guy go through like the snowcat before, which then like shot blood out the back. I think that was on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but um, but this is this is pretty gnarly. I mean, seriously. I think in a good way. But I love that the Bond girl saves Bond in this movie. But of course, uh, Bond gets saved because Pam shows up. She manages to seduce the televangelist and then lock him in his room. And then everyone's running away. Anyway, they blow up Wayne Newton's drug manufacturing cultist castle, and then everybody's got to run away, and now the chase is on. After that is GoldenEye! This is the one we all know because of the GoldenEye video game. This is the first one starring Pierce Brosnan. It takes place in Cuba, Jamaica, the, somewhere in the Caribbean, and there's a satellite, and Alec Trevelyan is going to use it because Sean Bean's a bad guy, even though he's supposed to be a good guy, and he's going to shoot lasers at the planet Earth using satellites. And the bad guy, computer geek, clicks a pen four times and it blows up up and Xena on top crushes people with their legs. So when Bond jumps out this window and James sees they have a tank, he finds a tank like you do. Ormov takes Natalia and there's a little car to escape, but bam! But, oh shit, Bond stole a tank. Favorite vehicle? Uh, it's gotta be the tank. Tank crushes through the wall, chasing right after the car. <laughs> Favorite vehicle? Still not much of a car person, so I'm definitely gonna go with the tank. The tank is a T-55. I can go like 30 miles an hour. Driven through the middle of St. Petersburg. And this leads to the best chase scene in the James Bond franchise. And it gets to the point where the general's like, use the bumper the way it's intended. You know, hit people. Bond causes a few million dollars in damages, takes out a couple cop cars, statues, buildings. So he just hijacks the tank and starts driving through the streets, jacking everything up. But can anyone say they didn't love that tank? I do love the tank chase. Bond went full killzozer through the streets of Russia. It's absurd. He's driving through buildings. He's driving through cop cars. He's driving over cars. He's shooting shit. But it's just, it's fun. Which is uh, the evil Russian general in a car with Natalia, Natasha. Natalia? Uh, I never knew that tanks could go through walls. The shot of him busting through the wall in the T-80 is amazing. The music kicks in, the tank busts through a brick wall right behind the car. You think Ormo's about to get away, but no, Bond's on his tail. So, learn something today. Natasha. Romanov. I enjoyed that you get to see Pierce's suave smirk popping out of the tank. It kind of chips away at the seriousness of most of the car chases we've seen in previous movies, which is a nice change of pace. Uh, Bond hijacks his tank and he's smashing through St. Petersburg Square, chasing after, you know, a car. They're in a car. James Bond is in a tank and he's chasing them through the streets of Russia in a tank. And Pierce Brosnan is the shit. Ormov takes a huge hit from his flask and the chase is on. We're going to be power sliding a 45 ton tank through the streets of St. Petersburg and demolishing half of the city in the process. And then it drifts and it's like this movie does a, a pretty solid job of keeping reality but not losing the fun. Like it is awesome. He's just tripping through stuff. There is no image that is more James Bond than the image of James Bond power sliding a tank into the side of a building and just driving through it and then straightening his tie as he comes out the other side. And then after that is Tomorrow Never Dies, which is the one that has uh, uh, evil Steve Jobs is the bad guy. And he's got a, a Bluetooth keyboard that he types on with one hand while he's holding it with his other hand while he's standing up in front of monitors. I always thought that was the coolest stuff when I was a kid. Not going to lie. I still like typing on a keyboard that way. It's not efficient, but I feel cool when I do it. And there's a part where Bond's getting tortured and then he and the girl have to escape. 
by jumping out a window and grabbing onto a banister and they like rip the banister down as they slide down the outside of a building but they're handcuffed together and then they hop on a motorcycle and get into a cool chase scene where they're being chased by a helicopter through a city while they're on a motorcycle but they're handcuffed together so she has to like sit behind him and they each hold one part of the steering wheel and then she flips around and sits in front of him so he can hold both it's a pretty cool scene uh the world is not enough is after that which is the one where the bad guy can't feel pain because he's got a bullet stuck in his head and there's a girl who owns a pipeline that her dad built and it's getting bombed by terrorists and there's a lady named Christmas Jones and she's a nuclear physicist and um the bad guy kidnaps M and he's gonna kill her and Bond fights him in a nuclear submarine and beats him by shooting one of the nuclear cores into his stomach or something and then he has sex with uh, Christmas Jones and says I thought Christmas only came once a year and then after that is die another day this is one with Halle Berry in it and she comes out of the water in a bikini calling all the way back to Dr. No and uh, it's also got stuff about Korea and there's a guy who had a mind blow up in his face so he had shrapnel in his face and then he changed himself into a white guy instead of being a Korean guy and now he's a British dude who's like uh, the, the Virgin Airlines guy and he's super bad and has a satellite that shoots lasers at the earth and he tries to blow up Bond in his invisible car using his laser satellites but it doesn't work and there's an ice hotel and it melts. Oh, we also find out here that Gustav is not a white British dude. He's actually that Korean uh, guy from the beginning, the one we thought died. Turns out he had a gene replacement therapy which changes your race and face and everything from an Asian man into a white dude, apparently. Oh man, okay. Captain Flint is like the North Korean general from the beginning of the movie. He didn't die in the hovercraft crash, he lived, and now he has face-off his way into Captain Flint. I think, I did not see this coming. I think it's actually kind of an awesome touch. He's the samurai kung fu, uh, you know, North Korean general. I think this is actually pretty awesome. Uh, I like the reveal. Super did not see this coming. Uh, I think this could be really interesting. The entire plot with like the DNA reconstructing where Colonel Moon becomes Graves. It, it, I mean, come on, man. I'm I'm confused. Am I watching Die Another Day or am I watching Lawnmower Man? I like the idea that like the explosion put the diamonds in Zhao's face and he kind of like rolled with that. But then the genetic modification that kind of like makes him a half albino. You know, it's just... Diamond Face here is Rick Yoon. He was Johnny Tran in The Fast and Furious, the first one. He was Zenyi the X-Blade and the Man with the Iron Fists. I like him. Uh, and the blue eyes is creepy, but they don't really give him a lot to do here. And um, I think you have the makings for a very interesting character, but I, I don't really, they don't really do much with him here. Did I mention that Zhao has diamond shrapnel stuck in his face? Because that's a thing that happened. It's so stupid, and saying it out loud really hammers home how <laughs> unbelievably ridiculous it is. So let me get this straight. You've got a North Korean dictator who faked his own death, and then altered his genetics, and took on a very involved, very public British persona, all the while building an Arctic base in an attempt to convince the world that it's a recently discovered diamond mine, when in fact they're using actual blood diamonds to fund and build a massive satellite laser death weapon of doom. Also that he can get revenge on Bond while also destroying the DMZ between North and South Korea and somehow get his father's approval. Okay. You can't have everything, racially confused Korean man. This this is just bonkers. I just don't know what's going on anymore. 
And then after that is Casino Royale. This is the first one with Daniel Craig, and uh, it's got a cool intro sequence with cards, and Bond plays a lot of cards in this one. There's also this sweet part where he's driving his car really fast, and then it flips over, and his car flips over, and it's really bad, and then he gets captured by the bad guys, and they tie a rope into a knot, and they smush his balls with it really, really good. Craig is just ruthless, and it genuinely looks like he knows how to move and fight. The stunt work in this chase scene is unbelievable. They're running around on these cranes. Is this uh, the one where he runs across the crane? Not the bird, but the actual, like, you know, the thing they use to make buildings. They're jumping all over the stuff. They're doing all this parkour things. There was one hell of a parkour scene at the beginning of this. Leading to an epic, pretty epic parkour chase because free running was a total thing that happened in 2006. Yeah, yeah. well, 2006 was like the year of parkour. It was, parkour, parkour, yeah. parkour. Parkour was really big in movies in 2006. And it's just this like massive parkour action scene and it's really good and really well shot. And we get the uh, the parkour scene in Madagascar where him and this uh, bomb maker who's got scars all over his face are chasing each other through the streets and they go through this hotel which is being which is like under construction and stuff. And I've got some interesting points on that as well. But what I think is most interesting about it is that there's very little sound. Like it's most, there's a lot of sound effects, but there's not a big soundtrack playing at this part, at least that I remember. Yeah. My wife and I still <laughs> like yell parkour and like jump like from one slab of, of concrete to the other. Oh, wow. Just, See, I just do it when I'm like sliding into a restaurant booth. <laughs> parkour. parkour. <laughs> uh, at our age. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but I think the chase is great, and I think that the stunt work is awesome. But yeah, it's just really, really cool. I like the way they do it. You can obviously see that Craig's not quite as parkour as the other guy, and I don't know why if you were that into parkour, you'd also become a part-time bomb maker on the side. But, you know, I'm, these, these aren't my life choices. This is someone else's life choices. And the entire opening sequence that follows, it tells you so much about Bond's character. And I think it says a lot about Bond that the guy he's chasing is going up and around and over and doing all these cool stunts and Bond is just running through drywall. How does Bond know the layout well enough to know how to catch this guy? Who gives a shit? He just bursts through that wall like the meat man he is. And then there's Quantum of Souls, which is a direct sequel to Casino Royale. Uh, kind of maligned. I think this one was written during the writer's strike, so a lot of people think the script isn't very good. But I actually like this one a lot. I feel like it's kind of a, a little bit of a smaller scale story, even though it is about somebody trying to, like, take over an entire country by controlling their water supply. Uh, it does have a lady who gets dipped in oil to get murdered. Uh, so it's calling back to the Goldfinger murder scene, where the lady was painted gold. This time she's covered in oil. And uh, Bond blows up a really big hotel at the end. This crazy hotel out in the desert somewhere. In the final set piece of the film, Bond and Camille go to the weirdest hotel in the middle of the desert to confront Green and the generals who is attempting a coup. I like that Green screws El Presidente over for oil and water rights, which is fine. Like, that guy sucks. Um, and that's kind of nice to see that, like, people who suck get what's coming to them. Oh, man, this, this, this hotel looks awful. Side note, that hotel's a real place, but it's set up for scientists and engineers who work in the area. There's even a giant telescope and observatory around the corner from them. Like, yeah paying good money for this to stay here. Alas, it's not open to the public. But apparently you can see the ocean from the balconies. Oh, and it's actually in Chile, not Bolivia, because Bolivia's landlocked, so you know, no oceans. They introduce the hotel by like hearing some weird sound and they're like, what the hell is that? And they're like, oh, it was probably just the fuel cells. This whole place runs on them and they're super unstable and they're probably gonna explode into a fiery hell dimension, but it's fine. Oh man, it's Chekhov's unstable fuel cells. I really hope that doesn't bite anyone in the bite in the next 30 seconds. Just, yeah, f that. It's fine. 
And then after that is Skyfall, which is the one where uh, this the, the bad guy is that one guy. You know who it is. And uh, he used to work for him, but now he doesn't work for him. And he feels like she abandoned him. So he's going to get revenge on her because he's like, you were like my mommy and you abandoned me. And now I'm really upset about it. So I'm going to kill all of your sons and then you. And so he's going to kill all the double O agents. And then James Bond has to take M to hide at his family home uh, where we find out that his name actually is James Bond and it's not a code name. And that sucks because it ruins the fan theory. And uh, hey, the car from Goldfinger's back in this one. That's pretty neat, even though this movie both like embraces the continuity by having the car from Goldfinger and breaks the continuity by ruining the codename theory. So that doesn't make much sense. We meet the new Q. I do like new Q. New Q is pretty good. And this is where like this is and this is a theme with the new Bond movies, but they all have a theme which is new for Bond in the Daniel Craig era. And it is something that really makes these movies hit home where a lot of the old ones didn't. He meets Bond in an art gallery for some reason, even though MI6 has this huge underground bunker, Q meets him in an art gallery. Bond goes to a museum to meet with Q, who is some hipster hacker kid. In the art gallery, when who we soon will learn is the new Q sits next to Bond, I love the malice in Bond's eyes. Like, what the hell is this youngster doing sitting next to me, talking to me like he knows me? The theme here is old versus new, young versus old. Is Bond washed up or does youth and skill lose to age and treachery? It's always about time. Seriously, it's about time. We, he is literally looking at a picture of an old ship being dragged away because it's too old. And this is going to be the theme of this story. And they have this quiet whispered conversation where Q gives him a gun with a handprint, identification so nobody else can shoot the gun, and a radio transceiver so that he can call for backup if he needs it. Bond's new Walter PPK is palm print encoded. It's a nice touch. But Q gives Bond a gun and a radio. Q gives Bond his gadgets, a gun and a radio. Bond's two gadgets in this movie are a gun and a radio. He says, not exactly Christmas, is it? Q responds, were you expecting an exploding pen? And there's a great quip here where there's something about uh, Q says like, well, were you expecting an exploding pen? We don't really go in for that sort of thing anymore. And they make a jab at the exploding pen. They, they shied away from like the gadgets and stuff. And I, I did, I, thankfully, and I know that some people that's kind of like part of the Bond thing is the goofy, you know, the watch that's a laser time travel machine and the car that does your taxes and all this crazy shit. I I guess I prefer the realism part of it a little bit. I mean, obviously it's not realistic. Don't talk shit on the exploding pen. That was rad as hell. I'll fight you over this, James Bond. And then after that is Spectre, and I don't know anything about Spectre. I dig it. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, really didn't work for me. It had fun. It had levity. It had the action that I've loved from the Daniel Craig movies, but combined with some of those jokes that we saw in the previous Bond movies. I did not like this movie, uh, and I think that it was just kind of a mistake from the ground up. Again, a movie with almost no gadgets, but I have to combine with my favorite vehicle because I love that damn DB10. It's so sexy, has actual weapons that don't work, and it was fast in a city that's very compact. There was heavy emphasis in this movie about old versus new, and I think Skyfall did it better. And the fact that on top of that, the movie is repeating the whole spies versus satellites thing that we saw in Skyfall. It's just, it's a little bit repetitious. This was just, once again, too heavy-handed. It felt like there were too many references to too many Bond films, uh, like almost like a musical, where they were just like, we're not going to write the movie and include references. We're going to make references and write the movie around that. 
It's very competently made, very well done, very well acted. The filming's great, the cinematography's great. Don't have any complaints with the stunt work, any of that stuff. Um, the problem here is the script. And I think that it was, they didn't give any of these people anything to work with. Uh, Christoph Waltz is an amazing actor, as we have seen, but you can't just make him the bad guy in a movie and expect it to be good. Because he doesn't have anything to do in this movie, and so it's just a lot of watching him talk menacingly, which doesn't quite work because he doesn't get the scar until the end, and he's also like a foot shorter than Daniel Craig, so it doesn't make him seem bigger imposing or anything. And they don't, it's just, none of this works for me. Um, and uh, I really didn't like it. I dug it a lot, and I'm actually really excited to see No Time to Die now. But that was Spectre, and that is, as of the time of this recording, where we are at with the James Bond franchise. We are going to get the new one coming out at some point, depending on the quarantine situation. No, no Next Time no time to Die? Is that what it's called? And when that comes out, we will be here to talk about it. But anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to our entire series of covering all 24 previous Bond movies in a row. It was really a great time. I really enjoyed being a part of it, and uh, I hope you guys liked it too. Uh, thanks so much, and we will see you on the next one. James Bond will return in No Time to Die eventually i don't know what it's called but it's coming out like in october now so who the hell knows when we'll get to see it jesus it's been so long bond any thug can kill i have to know i can trust you well i understand double o's have a very short life expectancy you are a kite dancing in a hurricane mr bond Is this really what you want? Always alone? We used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. And now they're just floating in the ether. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Oh my god. Target enough people. And the people become the weapon. Who is he? James, you don't know what this is. James Bond. Licensed to kill. Love with Madeline Swan. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind. If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to save. I have to finish this. You have a flower like this. No. coming out this fall is no time to die which of course i don't know anything about here but hey you out there i help, hope this helped you remember which movie you were trying to think of of course we've definitely covered a few other topics since then but now that the movie is finally coming out we'll be reuniting some of the same podcasters from season 003 for a very special episode 
of Podcasters Disassembled coming this November. Probably. And if you haven't already, definitely check out the first episode of Podcasters Disassembled on Rogue One. We'll also be putting out another bonus episode on the Bond games pretty soon uh, that's been sitting on my hard drive collecting dust for a while now. Uh, So keep an eye out for that. And if you're new to the podcast and haven't already, definitely give our backlog a listen. We'll have all the links in the show notes. And with that, I'll let you all get back to busting some ghosts. Podcasters Assemble is a production of the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble by looking us up on Twitter and Instagram at Casters Assemble or joining our Discord page. Link in the show notes. Submissions are always open. This episode was edited by Eric Slater. Voiceover by a guy in a basement with three daughters who's just glad he's not on food stamps. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to where you can find them all online. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Epic Fails. Yeah, that's the wrong podcast.